Uh, oh, good evening, good evening, uh, Devon. Church in Devon. Uh, it's so great to be, to be out here. Um, this is our third meeting this week. Uh, we have been having this party uh, for some time now, and oh, here we go, we're on here. We have been having this party uh, since Wednesday, and uh, God has been blessing us with his presence and his word. Um, it's, it's so very, very beautiful. We, we were at Anthem, that's where the party was, on Wednesday and Thursday. Yeah, 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 yeah. And just in case you missed it, just in case you missed it. The party was at Anthem, and uh, we were absolutely uh, you know, blessed uh, in the presence of, of Jesus, in the presence of Anthem Church hosting us. And it's so great to be at Glenridge this evening. Great to have the Phipses back. After a time of rest, they are refreshed. Um, you know, Phipps told me he, he preached a storm this morning. Just a, a fitting message for a man who has been resting. resting. <laughs> but great to, you know, you know, to have Stan and Heather back. And Glenrich, thank you for hosting us this evening. And we, we, we're part of this journey together. We're journeying in the kingdom of God. We're partners. And, um, and, so, and so really, really great to be in this space. Um, and I want to acknowledge you for coming out on Sunday evening. Um, you know, and, and it means that you, you're, in search, you're searching for something. That's why you're here. Uh, I want to acknowledge that and, and recognize that and celebrate that. Uh, I want to acknowledge the leaders and pastors who are here with us, you know, in this meeting. I, I see Jamie and Lisa uh, here and uh, there's uh, Bratito, uh, you know, and uh, beautiful Leon next, next to him. Uh, and, and I love what, you know, Tito is, is, in his, is in his elements this evening. You know, I need to get one of those. I need to get one of those. I need to get one of those. Um, yeah, I really just want to acknowledge the, the leaders and pastors who are here this evening. I want to acknowledge the, the, the visionary team, the leadership team. These are friends and partners that, that have given their hands and shoulders to the mission of God. And I am so grateful for that. Uh, you know, having recognized, you know, something and being moved by something, uh, they have said, hey, we want this ark to sit on our shoulders. And so I, I recognize you guys as friends, first and foremost. I think the better way to do this is, you know, you know through friendship. Uh, you know, to be, a, to be friends and family and I really celebrate these gifts that are seated, seated in front of me here who are part of the... Um, um, uh, the leadership team of, of Kingdom Humanity Fellowship. Okay, so this evening, we framed this meeting, Celebrate Kingdom Humanity. I'm doing a bit, a bit of multitasking this evening, so if, if, if things are left out, it, when the Spirit of God starts breaking out, then you know, then you know, <laughs> then you know. You know, when the power of God breaks out, things get interfered with and things happen. We call this Celebrate Kingdom Humanity. Let's say that together. Celebrate Kingdom humanity. Say that again. Kingdom. Say that again. That's a, that's a beautiful phrase. We are here to celebrate a humanity that is our inheritance from Jesus. In a time when life is unraveling in the, in the earth. In a time when there's darkness and thick darkness coming upon the peoples. 
we are declaring that there's light, the light of Christ is rising from within our own hearts. That the morning star is rising and is bringing us to a place of divine order. That we're walking under the government of God and the Spirit of God is breaking out with wisdom, with understanding. That in the house of God, there's a blessing. In the house of God, there's government. In the house of God, there's order. In the house of God, there's Zoe life. There's the life of God. And that's what we declare. That God is giving us his humanity. And as we start this evening, I want to start us off with the words of Jesus. How many people love the words of Jesus? The words of Jesus are good news to us. They are the gospel. And so let's read the words of Jesus in Isaiah chapter 61 verses 1 to 3. We know that Isaiah prophesies this. But Jesus actually in Luke chapter 4 refers to this. And um, to this scripture, uh, referring to himself and causes a whole lot of issues and problems. It's a beautiful scripture. I know that, uh, you know, Phipps had a, a particular conviction around this scripture. Um, I think it was earlier this year. Isaiah chapter 61, verses 1 to 3. The spirit of the, of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has set me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn and provide for those who grieve, those who lament, those who intercede in Zion, the church of Jesus, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. We're going back in time to hear the words of Jesus speak to the church in this September of 2022, proclaiming himself to be the Lord's anointed, and that he's saying to us, there is a year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance after all that has happened, the day of vengeance of our God, that there is a comforting that is coming into Zion, the church of Jesus Christ, that he provides for those who grieve, those who intercede, those who lament for the condition that is Zion, to bestow on them a crown of authority, a crown of beauty instead of ashes, to put upon them the oil of the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, the oil of gladness, instead of mourning, and a garment of praise, the identity, the character that comes from Jesus Christ, instead of a spirit of despair. These words comfort us. These words are the words of our Lord, and they comfort us. We're still on the words of Jesus. In Matthew chapter 16, verses 18 to 19, Jesus is speaking, and is having a private conversation with his disciples. And we're picking on the conversation in its climax here. In verse 18, Matthew 16, and I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. You are comforted at the fact that Jesus takes personal responsibility for this thing called church. I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. There the phrase comes up in verse 19 again. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. 
And whatever you lose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Jesus takes personal responsibility for the building of the church. He tells us the church must be built. And the building process speaks obviously of a structured and a progressive process. That there has to be a systematic process of building within the house of God. But Jesus also tells us the church does operate in the environment of warfare. He speaks about the gates of hate will not overcome it. The gates of hate. In, verse, in, in, in number 3, uh, Jesus, in verse 19, says, I will give you the keys of the kingdom, which means a church is a missional community. Church exists for a purpose. There is a purpose that comes from the heart of God into the church. We are starting this off with the words of Jesus. First and foremost, he tells us that I'm going to comfort you in Zion. I'm going to deal with your pain. I'm going to mend you. I'm going to give you the, the oil of the anointing of the Spirit of God. A garment of praise, the crown of beauty. But also Jesus says, I, will, I am building within my house. And I'm building within my church. So if we locate this, and as we start this, if we look at Jesus and what Jesus is seeking to do, is that Jesus is on a mission with us, church. The mission of Jesus is two-dimensional. On the one hand, Jesus requires the world to be saved. Matthew 24, verse 14, the gospel of the kingdom of God must be preached to all the nations. And so the world must hear the preaching of the gospel and the world must be saved. But Jesus also requires for the bride to get ready for him. Ephesians 5, 27 the bride, we need to remove the, the, the stains, the wrinkles, the blemishes from the, from, the, from, from the bride. We need to remove the spirit of worldliness. And these are apostolic signs. These are the indicators of the time clock of God as we move to the end. The signs of, movement, of our movement to the end, uh, basically we'll break them, those up into two sec uh, sections. They are environmental signs. The, you know, these are issues of the wars and the pandemics. We don't have much control over that. We don't have much control other than maybe to pray. And maybe for those of us who are placed in certain spaces to engage the process, we don't have much control over pandemics and all of these things like we've seen in the last two to three years. These are environmental signs. Pandemics, wars, you know, climatic conditions. But there are apostolic signs of the end. And those are within reach for you and I. We can preach the gospel and we can get the bride ready. We can preach the gospel and we can get the bride ready. So Jesus invites us to come and participate in the preaching of the gospel and in getting the bride ready. And that's why we gather here to, to discuss, to talk about this whole issue of getting the bride ready for Jesus in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 27. Now, the environmental signs of the end, wars, pandemics, those things can happen. If these two things do not move forward, the end will not happen. Wars and pandemics and all of those things in themselves do not facilitate the end. In fact, Jesus says in Matthew 24, these things must happen, but the end is yet to come. 
Then he says, the preaching of the gospel of the kingdom of God must happen to all nations, and then the end will come. But we also know, picking from Ephesians, that there is this thing of preparing the bride of the Lord Jesus Christ. The bride of the Lord. If you want to represent that in a different way, the mission of Jesus Christ is two-dimensional. He wants to facilitate growth in the church, but he's also spreading out the gospel. And these two processes must happen. And different people here will have different anointings based on that framework. Some of us have a particular gifting, like you had in the early church, evangelist Philip going to Samar and getting the whole village saved. But he needs the apostles to come and establish the village in Christ. And so these things must work hand in hand. There has to be the partnership of these anointings to fulfill this two-dimensional mission of Jesus Christ. Now, after the words of Jesus, we see Paul helping us to further clarify what Jesus really wants to do in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 8 to 16. Beautiful scripture, this. Ephesians 4, verses 8 to 16. When he ascended on high, Paul says, that means after the cross and after the resurrection, he led captives in his train and gave gifts to men. It was he, we can put in bracket, it was he who started the process. That this process is not started by some pastor or some you know, human. This process was started by Jesus himself. It was he who started the process by giving gifts to men, some to be apostles, some to be prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers, to prepare or to equip God's people like us gathered this evening for works of service or for the work of the ministry so that the body of Christ may be built up. Then he says, until, until, which means the process continues until certain things are realized. He says, until we all, we all, which means this process is inclusive and universal. It's not meant to leave some church behind. Until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then, he says, we will no longer be. We will no longer be, which means there's a condition an unpleasant condition in the church of Jesus Christ until things are you know, shifted towards a desired end. We will no longer be means that until then we are something undesirable in the eyes of God. We will no longer be infants tossed back and forth. Remember, he does not say we will no longer be converts. He says we'll no longer be infants. It really doesn't matter when you got saved. It's a condition of infancy in the church that God is working against. He's not referring to people that got saved yesterday. He's talking about the infancy of the church. Church in its primitive state. Until then we'll no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves. That word tossed means to fluctuate, to lack stability, to fluctuate. Infants tossed back and forth by the waves, 
and then blown here and there by every wind of teaching, blown here and there by every wind of teaching and, and by the cunning and craftiness of men in their deceitful scheming. That word blown means, describes movement that is influenced by environmental factors. That there's a lot of movement in the church, but not all of that movement is inspired of the Holy Spirit. That in the last two to three years of the pandemic, there has been a lot of movement. Of being blown. Motions that are caused by environmental factors. Not because God has spoken. Until we deal with these things. Until we no longer have a church that when there are pandemics, you see movements in the house of God. God says we have to build. To remove that condition. Until it's no longer there. Then we'll no longer be infants, infancy, tossed, fluctuating back and forth by the waves and blown. Moving on the basis of circumstances. Taking decisions because economies are changing. Because social conditions are changing. Because the pandemics are breaking out. In the book of Old, Old Testament, you know, you see... Abraham and Isaac moving because of famines and all sorts of things. And one time in Genesis 26, uh, as Isaac begins to move because of a famine, God says, do not move. I'm going to be with you. There's been a lot of movement in the church of Jesus Christ. There's been a lot of movement in the church in the city of Devon. There's been the tossing and the blowing of the wind and environmental factors influencing and inspiring remember remember that in the in the word of god the holy spirit is also called the wind so there is a wind there is the wind and then there is a wind there are winds and we can fall into false inspirations thinking that the spirit of god is talking to us when environments and circumstances are speaking that condition has, to, has got to be removed, Paul says. Instead, speaking the truth in love, this is what is God desires. A church in which we speak the truth, a church in which, in which there is love, will in all things grow up into him who is the head, and that is Christ. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Beautiful scripture this is. An outline of the plan of God. Before this intervention, the church is in a state of infancy. Again, not meaning converts. Not meaning those who got saved yesterday. The condition of the church is in a state of infancy. It's primitive. It's basic. It's, it lacks capacity and substance. It is tossed and it is fluctuating. It is blown away by the circumstances of the day. And God says we don't want that. We want to bring the church to a place of substance and of stability. We want to bring the church to a place of substance and to a place of stability. So church is being built by Jesus unto maturity in Christ. That word maturity meaning to be complete, to be fully developed, to reach a predetermined goal reflecting all preordained qualities of Jesus. 
And because of this, those who have been called by God as apostles, prophets, pastors, teachers, evangelists must equip. And that word equip means to build towards a predetermined state of life. They must go into the future and see the desired state of Jesus Christ and come back and build. That word, that word equip means a, a frame, a frame to, 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 to descend the frame of God for the church and to come back and to build it. We can only know these things by revelation of the Spirit of God. Jesus wants to see himself through the church. When he looks at her, he wants to see himself. Ephesians 4.13, till we all come, meaning to arrive to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, Telios Ane, describes a fully functional male adult. It's a metaphor that Paul is using to speak of where the church of Jesus must find you know, uh, itself. Perfect man, Telios Ane, you know. It's a word that Peter brought to us when we went to a, a retreat recently. Not Peter in the Bible, Peter what? Just in case you got confused. A perfect man, Telios Ane. To the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that phrase literally means this. It describes the full spectrum of the nature of Jesus. Again, we're seeing these things along the way as God reveals them. Nobody here can fully describe what that full spectrum looks like. But by the spirit of revelation, God is revealing these things along the way as we move and as we follow the spirit of God. The full spectrum of the nature of Jesus, his qualities and his abilities. When Jesus looks at the church, he wants to see himself. A fully developed male that is functional, properly, properly functional. Here's another way of putting this in Ephesians 4, what Paul is saying to us. As it says in Ephesians 4.15, instead, speaking the truth in love, will all things grow up into him who is the head, that is Christ. From him, he is our origin. The whole body, universal, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. So what we see in that image is that God has been building his church since Acts chapter 2, when the Spirit of God broke out. That there is a standard. The standard is not some vision you know, of a man. The standard is Christ himself. He is the standard of maturity. So church has to grow and church has been growing unto him over the, over the years, over the decades, over the centuries. And there is a predetermined standard that church has to arrive at. And those, again, who are apostles, prophets, pastors, evangelists, teachers, must continue the work of equipping until church arrives there. Until church arrives. And what you want to see is that Christ in heaven must be reflected by the corporate Christ on earth. Christ in heaven. We are measuring up to the stature of Christ. Christ in heaven must be reflected by the Christ on earth. Christ in heaven must be reflected. We have to grow up into him. He is the standard. The standard is not set by the culture of the day 
or what the world says is the standard or is the thing how the world however the world defines maturity it is not the thing that we are pursuing what we are pursuing is what jesus says is maturity in his word christ in heaven must reflect or christ on earth must reflect the christ in heaven the word that paul uses as the word grow to grow in efficiency is the word oxano and that word describes the growth of growth functional growth of plants and human beings those of us who are parents will know that when a baby has been born you get this you know uh, uh, a growth chart that you take to the nurse from time to time and they investigate the, the child on against the milestones of the card now you can't get to the clinic and say well i think my child is growing the nurse will look at you and say you crazy well let's look at the card let's investigate the baby and then we can work out whether the baby is growing properly or not the baby could be lacking in certain uh, uh, areas and the doctor or nurse will tell you based on the card not based on what you think is growth so we need to check take our our churches and present them to jesus he needs to tell us whether these churches are growing or not i mean it's great to lead a church you know church is quite a complex entity complex community but when you are called to do this is a great work it's a great work but here is what we need to do we can't just be excited by what we see on sunday morning we've got to present the church to jesus and he must tell us whether the church is growing according to the milestones or not he's got to evaluate in the book of ezekiel you see the angel with the plumb line you can build a house and then look at the wall and say well it looks straight to me until god comes with the plumb line of his truth and tells yes maybe it's a little off maybe we need to fix things here so oxano is functional growth of plants and of human beings we've got to be in the habit as pastors as leaders of churches of presenting the church before jesus but as believers we need to present ourselves to jesus and say check my growth am i growing appropriately am i growing at the right pace at the right pace or not what jesus wants to produce is a perfect man and a glorious bride perfect man and a glorious bride perfect man speaks of strength as a telios ane fully developed male speaks of strength capacity in the church of jesus glorious bride speaks of beauty and the word that is used in the word of god as beauty is the word cosmos so ladies when we decorate your faces you are you know putting what we call cosmetics we get cosmetics from that word cosmos is that you're putting some 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 order in your face that's what you are doing so what we call beauty is oh yeah if the drawings on your face are not very good then it's like there's no order there there's no beauty there you're putting order that's all you are doing so cosmos in fact this is the world this is the word that is used god created the world so we know on in one sense god created the earth the material physical environment but god created the world which is cosmos that's the that's the orderly arrangement 
of life. What's that? That's marriage, that's friendship, that's community, that's, you know, wherever humans inhabit and coexist, there has to be arrangement, and arrangement brings safety and protection. Who would want to get married to somebody and you don't know what's going to govern that, that marriage? How that marriage is going to flow? What are the principles that will hold that marriage? Who wants to grow in a family where there are no values? You don't have time around a table to eat a meal and to talk about stuff and to define values that you are after, to, to shape character. So God created the material earth, but also God created the cosmos, arrangements, and arrangements bring safety and protection for us. And so the beauty of the church, the bride, speaks of the cosmos. And that's what God is doing. If you look at the history of church, you realize God has been doing something amazing. He's been doing work. He's been building. This, this thing that we're doing did not begin in September 2022. God has been building inside of his church. The history of church reveals a God who is at work. And so I want to just illustrate that by that timeline. It's not a very detailed timeline, but it's to illustrate the point that God has been building over the years, over the centuries. We know the church is something that existed in the heart of God before the beginning of time. It was part of God's eternal plan. And God activates the church in Acts chapter 2 by the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And church is recognized in that moment by those who were gathered in Jerusalem, the city of Jerusalem, they clearly recognized that something amazing had just happened. That was the moment of the fullness of time. And from that time on, and I pick on the 1500s, a lot of stuff happened in that intervening time. I will see this monk, Martin Luther, in the 1500s, confronting the issues of the church at the time and reclaiming and repositioning certain basic fundamental truths like justification by faith. As we move into the 1700s, 1800s, church wrestles and grapples with the issues of holiness, of being sanctified from the world, of living for God. In the 1900s, we see the Pentecostal movement break out. The Spirit of God returns back to the church in an official manner. In, in a doctrinal sense, they begin to recognize the baptism of the Holy Spirit and the speaking of tongues in the 1900s. In the 60s, the charismatic movement breaks out, which consolidates the local church. The body uh, gifts are released by God into the saints, and issues of worship break out inside of that time. Prophets are sent by God in the 80s. And they restore back to the church the idea that God speaks, that people must hear the voice of the Lord, that the will of God is a central feature of human life. In the 90s, apostles enter the scene and they bring to the church revelation and doctrine and they bring to the church a spirit to pioneer apostolic missions and they break out and that's when we begin to see these massive apostolic networks emerge in the church, in the new millennium, God begins to shift the focus to
to his body, to the body of Christ, and to the kingdom of God. This is not a detailed timeline. It's just to frame us here that, hey, we are here. God has been building. It does not begin in September 2022. God has been building. And this process has taken God over 2,000 years. Remember, Jesus said, I'm coming back soon. So we quantify the word soon there. Over 2,000 years. Over 2,000 years. And so, as we see that God has been building over the ages, we realize that the local church, or churches of Jesus Christ, must be plugged into historical truths, but also to what Peter in the Bible calls present truth. Second Peter chapter 1, verse 12. Present truth. And that word present, that means the nearness, the, that which is near. In other words, God comes near to his church through his truth, by his spirit, but also by his truth. Present truth is the proximity of God. It is the nearness of God to his church. Historical truths are great because the house of God, the church of Jesus Christ, should be like a storehouse, a storeroom with treasures that are old and new. That's what Jesus tells us in Matthew 13. So we have historical truths and we have present truth. I will begin to focus on 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 what God is doing to his bride, to his beautiful bride, movement of the body of Christ and of his kingdom. That's the focus of the Lord. After having seen what God did over the years, um, through that timeline, beautiful journey from eternity into time and different intervening truths of God to where we are, God is at this point in time focusing on his bride, on his body, and on his kingdom. That's the reason why he has been restoring and doing all the things that he's been doing over the years. So we are, you know, we're in this third decade of the new millennium. And the Spirit of God is establishing the body of Jesus Christ to a place of maturity. And he wants to use the body to establish the kingdom. So we go back to the words of Jesus in Matthew 16. I will build my church and I will give you the keys of the kingdom of God. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of God. So he's establishing the body of Jesus Christ, but through the body he wants to establish the kingdom of God upon the earth. Inside of this time, in the realm of the spirit, there is a big shift in the spectrum of Jesus. We have seen and the church has wrestled for the divinity of Jesus. In the coming decades, the church will have to wrestle for the humanity of Jesus. We have established Jesus as, as Lord. have declared him as part of the Trinity. Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. The divinity of Jesus has been fully established over the years. In the coming, in the coming seasons of the Spirit of God, the church will have to wrestle with establishing the humanity of Jesus. The fact that he is the source of humanity. The fact that we are defined by his image. That he tells us how to be and who, who we are. He has the authority to tell us he imparts his image into our hearts. So the mystery of Christ 
When we look at the scriptures, the mystery of Christ is that Christ is the image of God in human form. It is that man must pursue the image of God in one sense, but God wants to be found in the likeness of man, on the other hand. And so there is a devotional posture as we look into the image of God, but actually God wants to be found in the likeness of man. Philippians chapter 2, verses 7 and 8, Jesus Christ, who was God, was found in the likeness of man. And that's what God initiates in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. Let us make man in our image and in our likeness. He wants to humanize himself. We're living in a time when the forces of darkness are seeking to cancel Christ. You know, and to move him from the cent- as, as a central feature of humanity. And instead of that time, God is calling the church to pursue this faith-based humanity of Jesus Christ. So man must pursue the image of God, but God wants to be found in the likeness of man. In other words, he wants to use you to incarnate himself. As we often say, he wants to use you to establish, he wants to use your demographic profile to trade Christ in the earth. What does Paul say? In the word of God, I no longer live, but the life I live in this body, I live by faith. Christ lives in me, he says. Christ lives in me in bodily form. So Paul is, again, identifying this idea that Christ is using me to incarnate himself. He's using my demographic profile to express himself upon the earth. The life I live, I've died. I've been crucified with Christ. So Paul is saying, well, it's not enough just to receive salvation from Christ. We need to join him hand in hand to be crucified with him. And when we are crucified with him, we no longer live. He lives through us. So God wants to be found in the likeness of man. Not only are we pursuing the image of God, not only are we looking upward, but God is also looking downwards. He wants to use us to express himself upon the earth. This body of Christ movement activates believers in kingdom mission. It brings and it is bringing a new fresh sense in the church for the saints to witness, to pray, to use their careers and their uh, vocations as a platform for the kingdom of God. And we're seeing all sorts of transformational missions emerging. Whether it's saints coming together to impact the city or a neighborhood. All of these things are because God is now using his body to express something upon the earth. But again, if you're a student of church history, uh, uh, that will tell you that we have to be careful of the extremes. And of the dangers of extremism inside of that process. As God uses the body of Christ in the earth to move upon the earth, he wants to demonstrate his life through the church of Jesus Christ. He wants to establish the humanity of Jesus. Ephesians 3.10, now through the church, now through the church, not through the apostles, not through the prophets, not through the pastors, through the church. He wants to express his manifold wisdom of God. 
the body of Christ is the humanity, is the earthly evidence of Jesus Christ. It is what people see in the earth as the evidence of the reality of Jesus. They cannot see him because he's spirit. He says, the world does not see me, but they see us, they see you and I. And we are called to be the expression of his humanity upon the earth. To be the expression of his humanity upon the earth. But there is the kingdom of God to that movement. There is the kingdom of God to that movement. And God wants to establish his government upon the earth. Again, he wants to use you and I to establish his government upon the earth. The rule of God. He wants to use both, you know, he wants to use us to establish his government, his administration upon the earth. Let's read the scripture in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 21 to 24. See what Paul says to the saints here. He says in Ephesians 4, verse 21, Surely you heard of him and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in, Christ, in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted in its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. The word that Paul uses there as the word old man, new man is the word anthropos, which is the word humanity. So, if we want to paraphrase that, we can say, you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old humanity. To put off your old humanity, which has been corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new humanity. A new construct of human life. And so, we're saying that in the coming seasons of the church, the church has to wrestle with the humanity of Jesus Christ. The church has to wrestle with what does it mean to be human in Jesus. The world tells us how to be human. And the world wants to tell us what to, what, how to be human. And the world is going to come for our sons and daughters to seek to tell them how to be human beings. The world, as I often say, does not really care about your faith. And about the fact that you gather on Sunday morning to worship, to worship Jesus. What it cares about is the fact that it wants to tell you how to be a human being. It waits for you on Tuesday, on Wednesday. And so God is empowering the church so that when we come out of the church building into Tuesday, into Wednesday, into Thursday, we have an understanding of how to be a human being. Those are the, these are the battles of the future. In fact, they are the battles that have begun already now. Church, I mean, the world wants to tell you how to, um, how to conduct your sexuality. It wants to tell you about your sociality. It wants to tell you about your identity. It wants to tell you how to do friendships. How to raise your kids. And so the battles that we are now confronting are not devotional. The battles that we are now confronting are out there in life. The world will wait for you after the two hours of you know, su Sunday morning. To whisper, like the snake whispered, whispered to the man, to the woman in the Garden of Eden. 
That snake still wants to whisper. That snake wants to tell you how to be and who to be in the midst of life. Wants to tell you how to be man and how to be woman. Wants to tell you how to be a husband and how to be a wife. And inside of that time, God is empowering us with what we call this new construct, this new humanity that is coming upon us. If we read the same verse uh, from the uh, Passion Translation, it says, And he has taught you to let go of the lifestyle of the ancient man, the old self-life. In other words, regulated by the principle of self, which was corrupted by sinful and deceitful desires that spring from delusions. Now, it's time to be made new. It's time to be made new. It's time to be made new by every revelation that's been given to you and to be transformed as you embrace the glorious Christ within. So replacing Christ or replacing the self with Christ. In other words, as your new life and live in union with him, for God has recreated you all over again. How beautiful is that? God has recreated you all over again in his perfect righteousness. And you now, you now belong to him in the realm of true holiness. Beautiful scripture. Beautiful scripture. Beautiful scripture. He wants us to, to replace the principle of self with the principle of Christ. That we adopt a new humanity from Jesus Christ. From Jesus Christ. In Revelation 21, we see a beautiful picture of God adorning us. It says here, now I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. Also, there was no more sea. Then I, I John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, adorned. Adorned. There is that word again, ladies. Adorned. That's the word cosmetics. To decorate. It, it's, it's, it's the arrangements of God coming upon us. It's the image of Jesus Christ in bringing the revelation of how to do life and how to be human beings how to do marriage, and how to build a family. That's the shift, the big shift we talk about, from divinity to humanity. We remain, you know, we, 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 we keep the truth of the Lordship of Jesus Christ, but we declare his humanity upon the earth. He is cleaning us up in Ephesians 5.25. He is cleaning us up. He is removing the world from us. And I think that's a beautiful thing. That's a beautiful thing. That's a beautiful thing. Paul will tell us in Colossians 2.8, see to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the basic principles of this world rather than on Christ. Basic principles. That phrase meaning something orderly in arrangement. So the world is forcing its arrangements on us but we are told to revolt against it. But we can only revolt with the revelation of Jesus Christ. Colossians chapter 2, verse 8. And so what is God doing inside of this time? He's imparting kingdom humanity into our hearts. The movement of the body of Christ. He's clothing the body with the garment of Christ. He's empowering us to be able to administer the kingdom upon the earth 
and in spaces of human life. That's what God is doing. And that's what we came here to celebrate this evening. The coming into our hearts, the impartation by the Spirit of God, of the movement of the body of Jesus Christ, the evidence of the heavenly Christ upon the earth. The only evidence there is, well, we can talk about creation testifies, but the living evidence, the human evidence of Jesus is you and I. And the world has to look at us to see not us, but to see him through us. So just like Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father, the church of Jesus Christ must be able to say, if you've seen us, you've seen Jesus. Until then, the equipping continues. Amen. Until then, the work continues. Until then, the pastors must work. Until then, the Spirit of God must continue to release those who are called as teachers and evangelists and different giftings of God to equip this beautiful bride of Jesus Christ. The clothing of the body with the humanity of Jesus is the wrestler of the day. But we celebrate that this evening. And this evening we declare that in the day of unraveling of life, we declare this evening. But in the day of darkness and thick darkness coming upon the peoples and of the corruption of human culture, in the house of God, light arises within human hearts. The humanity of Jesus Christ is coming with powerful revelation. God is raising voices and people and ministers to begin to articulate from the scriptures what that looks like. And then we have to continue to dig in that story that I told you about, about Isaac, when he was told to not leave, to not go to Egypt. He began digging the wells of his fathers, Abraham. And the Philistines contested him. Deben, You've got to dig the wells. You've got to dig the wells in the city until we overcome against the enemy. God wants to use his glorious bride inside of this time to express his beautiful humanity. He is the, he is the source behind the idea of being human. Do we realize this? Without God, there is no concept of humanity. There is no concept of humanity. Thank you, Jesus. We bless your name for your word. Let's stand or do whatever that you feel you want to do inside of this time. and Just want to honor Jesus. Hallelujah. We celebrate you, the source of our humanity. We celebrate you. Thank you for the word of God and for knitting your word together in our hearts. Thank you for the thread of the word of God. Thank you for the strand, the DNA strand that you are releasing upon the earth. Side of this time. Thank you for the revelation and for breaking the seals. For breaking the seals of God's word. So in heaven, the slain lamb was breaking the seals. Break the seals for this, for this generation.
break the seals. Break the seals. Break the seals of the Spirit, of the Word of God. That we may see through your Word. That the doors of heaven be opened towards us. When I hear you say, come up here to see the scrolls of Jesus, of the slain Lamb, and His promise, and what He achieved through the cross for us. We celebrate you, Jesus. We celebrate you, our humanity. The source of our humanity. We celebrate you. We say without you, we don't know how to be human. Without you, we are lost. We are tossed back and forth. We are blown here and there by winds of narratives and definitions that are coming from this earth. Thank you that you have come to empower us, Lord. We celebrate you, Jesus, this evening. We celebrate you, O God. We celebrate you. We celebrate you. We glorify you. The garment of Jesus. May the garment of Jesus be put around us. May you enrobe us, Lord, with your garment, with your heavenly garment. May you adorn us, make us beautiful in the midst of the earth. May you take away the shame and dignify us by the revelations of Jesus. May you dignify your bride. May you remove the stains, the blemishes, and the wrinkles. Bring her to a place of glory. 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 Just do that song, Siagutumisa, just for a moment.